Nearly all the coverage that I've seen about the coronavirus has been what I would call urgent and important, fighting fires. This is very important. It's saving lives. Things like making more ventilators, making more masks, getting people to follow instructions about staying in social distancing and things like that. Very important. It's saving lives. I'm following these instructions. I hope everyone else is too. Leadership is more the, do- that's what I would call the domain of management. Management is more about things that you can measure, things that you can observe. And the goal of a manager is compliance. And I hope that we're getting a lot of compliance. The domain of leadership is different. The domain of leadership is generally more non-urgent, but important. So often longer term things. Leaders work more with images, beliefs, values, things that you can't measure so much. And instead of compliance, the goal is often inspiration, wanting to do things. Therefore, as important as this urgent, important stuff is, this fighting fires is, and it's saving lives. If we don't think long-term, well, the scientific community that predicted for generations that we would have pandemics and for decades, specifics about pandemics like this, that scientific community has also predicted bigger pandemics, more serious pandemics, and all sorts of other environmental catastrophes, many of which will, will dwarf the current coronavirus. Well, we don't know how it'll turn out, but we'll likely dwarf it. At last, I came across a video that treated pandemics from a long-term, non-urgent, important perspective. It was by Dr. Michael Greger, who's been a guest on the show. Dr. Michael Greger is the host of nutritionfacts.org. This is actually a video that he did, I think, in 2006 during, I believe, a bird flu pandemic. And he talked about pandemics. I'm going to put the link to it. That video is about an hour long. And I'm going to give a summary of it because I think it's one of the most important things I've come across. And the summary of it is this, but watch the whole thing. But here's the gist of it. Human beings have been around for, as humans, for something like two, 300,000 years. In almost all of that time, we have not had pandemics. We started getting pandemics around the agricultural revolution when we started domesticating animals, chickens, pigs, cows, camels, things like that. All species have viruses in them. We have viruses in us. Cows have viruses in, in them. Chickens have viruses in them. And it's evolutionarily advantageous for the virus to not make us sick because if it lives within us and we're well, it moves on to the next generations and it does just fine. When we started living close to other animals, the viruses in those other animals every now and then could jump to us. Things like measles, mumps, lots of things, syphilis and things, they came from other animals. So for almost 300,000 years, less about 10,000, we didn't have viruses. We didn't have pandemics. Then about 10,000 years ago, we started having pandemics, bubonic plague and things like that. That came over to us. Then because of modern medicine, over the past decades, up until very recently, pandemics were going down, down, down. There were some, a lot of people died. I don't want to take away from that. But then suddenly in around 1970, they started increasing. So look at this. For 300,000 years, no pandemics. For 10,000 years, pandemics, but they start going away. I mean, there's still some around. We, we just reached a kind of equilibrium with them, I guess. Smallpox, well, smallpox is now gone, I think. But they'd be around, but it wouldn't kill everyone. Some people get chickenpox, but the human species basically lived. Now, suddenly in the 70s, it starts increasing a lot. Suddenly, what happened in the 70s? Why did pandemics start increasing again? People started raising animals much closer than ever before. It used to be a few chickens out in the yard, a few horses out in the barn. Now it's pigs stuck together very, very closely for their entire lives. Chickens stuck together very, very closely for their entire lives. They become like a petri dish. So they start growing more and more viruses there. And they start spreading around more so they don't really die out. But there's another big thing. 
there's chickens packed really close together near ducks packed really close together. What's the difference here? Well, all these chickens, they are having, they are passing viruses around. So there's a lot more. But as I said before, they're not mutating that much. Every now and then, if you have a bunch of ducks near a bunch of chickens or whatever combination of animals you want, sometimes a virus will jump from the chickens to the ducks. And the virus that evolutionarily was not symbiotic, but wouldn't change, wouldn't mutate that much because it wanted to stay with the chickens. Now in the duck, suddenly it's evolutionarily advantageous for it to mutate. And so you start getting lots of mutations back and forth between these different species because when a chicken virus is stable in chickens, but it jumps to ducks, most of the time it won't work. Every now and then if it does work, it's going to mutate to work with the ducks. So now you have fast mutating lots of viruses. Now we also have them close to us. That was the same as before, but we are now also packed densely like the livestock, not quite as densely, but more dense than ever before. And we're traveling all over the world really quickly. He was talking about bird flu at the time. So he was talking about how viruses would go from birds, especially domesticated ones to us. The current virus probably came from bats. Well, we're also encroaching increasingly into wildlife territory. Ebola came from when people would put roads into the jungle and people building the roads and on the roads would kill monkeys and other animals and it would their viruses would jump to us. Dr. Greger goes into a lot more depth, but the picture is that we are breeding viruses to create pandemics. There's no reason to believe that this one is particularly serious. Later ones will probably be more serious and we're going to keep breeding more and more viruses for more and more pandemics, at least as long as we're packing animals close to each other, packing them close to each other and next to others of other species, packing ourselves densely, that is high population density, high population on the planet, and overflying, traveling all over the place. This is to me non-urgent, long-term, important thinking that I simply don't see treated. If we learn from this pandemic to get more ventilators or to make more masks, and that's the top thing that we learn, we have learned the wrong lessons. Yes, that's an important lesson to learn. That's a management, urgent, important lesson. But if we keep breeding viruses, it won't matter. We'll just keep breeding more and more and more viruses. To me, the lesson is at the very least to ask ourselves as a democracy, do we want to permit these companies to externalize their costs? That is, it's cheaper for them. It's more profitable for them to breed animals the way they do. And as a side effect, the waste comes out to us. For illustration, years ago, and probably still now, if a factory made something and a byproduct was a ton of lead or mercury, we know that stuff is poisonous. So if that factory has to clean it up, it incurs a cost. Or it's much cheaper if they can just pour it out in the river, the cost goes away. But the cleanup doesn't go away. That goes into people and we get poisoned and we get birth defects and things like that. And the cost for someone who gets sick is much greater than what they've saved. Here with the livestock and the factory farming, the cost is now, well, we just passed a $2 trillion relief fund. On top of that, we're projecting something like 100 to 200,000 deaths in this country in the first wave, maybe more hopefully less. And that's to say nothing about the rest of the world in future waves. And what's the savings? The savings is for this industry, I guess, to bring down the cost of meat by probably a few pennies a pound. Is it worth it? What are laws for if not to regulate people's behavior when that behavior affects other people? I believe this is what laws are for. That is, you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't affect anyone else. If it does affect someone else, I believe that's what laws are for. How long will we permit building Petri dishes? With, it's like a Petri dish with a fan that's blowing the viruses out onto us. 
I don't see anyone talking about this. This to me seems like the most important thing. It seems to me we should pass laws to not create Petri dishes with fans blowing viruses in our faces. Anyway, Dr. Greger goes into a lot more depth. Oh, it's also crazy to think for 300,000 years, just since the 70s, we're increasing this. It's like a blink of an eye of a blink of an eye. It's crazy what we're allowing ourselves to do. And people talk about the entire population of the planet could fit in Texas. What sets the limit on what density works is things like how many viruses are you willing to accept? How far are you going to transport food? Things like that. How much green space are you going to have? Watch his video. And I hope that this leads to people thinking more about how do we stop this from happening again? And for that matter, if you also like the idea of having cleaner skies in Beijing and cleaner canals in Venice, there are other questions to ask here about not just hoping for the best. Like I hope that I believe we need to lead people to continue behaving in ways that don't pollute so much. But that'll be the topic of another episode.